Holy Spirit, uh, we thank you for your presence here in this room. Lord, we ask that uh, the words we're going to hear, the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing to you and that you'd work through this next little bit to uh, transform our hearts and remind us again of the power of kindness. In your name, amen. Well, I want to welcome uh, you guys here, those who are watching online in the podcast, and want to give a shout out to our high school and middle school students who are in the community center. If you listen real close, you can hear them from the future. <laughs> wouldn't that be cool? That'd be a great miracle right now, wouldn't it? Okay, well, uh, I like to think of myself as a fairly intuitive person, as a fairly kind person, which normally these are traits that work well together, right? Uh, if maybe someone seems a little off, having a bad day, I can pick up on it and ask them how they're doing. If there's conflict or, or tension, maybe at work or at home, I sort of pick up on that and can kind of move in to help mediate, maybe relieve some of the tension. And because this typically works out for me, I've gotten you know, fairly confident and reliant on my intuition and kindness, which is great, except when it's not. So uh, when my wife and I were first married, we used to go to this little YMCA in north of Seattle. And one day, we were in there getting ready to go, and I looked over and uh, saw the nice lady who worked there. She was getting a drink of water from the fountain, and I noticed when she kind of stood up, she sort of stretched her back and kind of walked a little more tiredly than normal back to the desk. And... My intuition said, aha, opportunity for kind chit-chat. So as I was returning my lock at the desk, I turned to her and confidently asked the worst question I could have asked in that moment. So, when are you due? Yeah. Yep. And at that moment, some of you have done this, haven't you? At that moment, I sort of more like felt than actually saw the sort of jaw-dropping horror from my wife next to me. Because I didn't look, because I just sort of kept digging. I said, wow, I wonder why I thought you were pregnant. To which she replied, maybe you shouldn't answer that. And in that moment, I suddenly realized what I had done. And as my wife was dragging me out, never to return, uh, I just kept saying, I'm so sorry. I went home, I felt so bad, I called back down to the YMCA and apologized again. I'm sure not making it worse. And two weeks later, we canceled our membership. <laughs> True story. <clears throat> so today we're going to talk about a kind of kindness that hopefully doesn't result in that kind of an ending, right? It's looking at the uh, passage in Galatians 5 where Paul gives us this list of the fruit of the Spirit. And Paul in that chapter is sort of explaining that, you know, as followers of Christ now, we have freedom. We're free from the Old Testament law and its judgment. We're free to live our life however we want. But if God could choose, if he could take over our life, which he wouldn't do because he loves us and values our, our free will too much, but if he could, he would sort of override your operating system with what we see here in Galatians 5. And check this out. One of the most powerful things that Paul says here is that growing and living out this fruit is dependent not on us, but on God and the Holy Spirit. It's not the result of a good marriage, the right education, your connections, your job, your good behavior, or your kids. The fruit is sourced in the Spirit. They can't be taken away by anything in this world because they don't come from this world. And so we can pursue living out this love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control now by surrendering to the Spirit more and more and more. Now, I encourage you, if you didn't, go back and listen to the first sermon in the series by Scott because he really unpacks kind of how to, how to do that. 
One of my mentors um, used to put it this way. He would say that what Paul is saying here is, be who you already is. Be who you already is. And so today we're going to focus on three aspects of kindness. There are three parts of of the Sermon on Kindness. First, don't sleep on kindness. In other words, don't underestimate the power of kindness. Second, kindness is in our spiritual DNA. And finally, third, the kindness of Jesus. So, uh, turn to the person next to you and say, don't sleep on kindness. Don't underestimate the power of kindness, even simple acts of kindness. Because, you know, it's possible, like me, maybe you're listening to this word and, and you realize, man, maybe I need to reconsider the word kindness, the power of kindness, to, to understand again how it can reduce, or how it can produce sort of radical transformation, both in my life and the lives of people around me. The dilemma is, when we hear that word kindness, sometimes we kind of find ourselves sort of, just sort of wandering in our mind, Right? Maybe our hand starts to twitch a little bit as it's thinking about opening up our Instagram, right? Instead of listening. Because it's sort of like kindness, ugh. Like, isn't that sort of just being nice, which means maybe you're being, you know, kind of a pushover. Um, I mean, what about things like emotional intelligence or power, ambition? Can we talk about my Enneagram number or like just being right or getting some things done, right? But if that's you, I listen to what one of my favorite pastors likes to say about the fruit of the Spirit. If the fruit of the Spirit were just this mushy, sappy, sentimental list of things that don't really have any power to them, we wouldn't be sitting here today. Christianity wouldn't still be around. And so if you are someone who's known for getting a lot done, and you can't imagine prioritizing kindness and still being that person, remember that the guy who wrote these words accomplished a lot. He traveled, Paul traveled thousands of miles around the Mediterranean preaching the gospel. He wrote 13 books in the New Testament. So don't sleep on kindness, especially even the things that seem like the simplest acts. Um, A while back, uh, our family um, was trying to think of a way to sort of press into this third way, racial justice and reconciliation and healing that you hear us talk about here at Belprez, particularly around the issue of immigration and refugees and we were especially trying to think of ways to sort of recover a level of kindness and hospitality uh, that we felt like had been lost around this issue that's become so politicized. And then a friend asked us if we wanted to put uh, one of these signs in our yard. And so we did. You can see it here coming up on the slide, I think. And if I'm honest, I didn't really expect much to come of it living in our you know, predominantly white uh, middle-class neighborhood. But a few months later, on a Sunday night, uh, we were making dinner with some family who was over, and there was a knock on the door, and Christy and I went over, and uh, there was a couple there we'd not met before. They were uh, originally from the Middle East, um, and they were holding flowers. They introduced themselves, sort of apologized for interrupting, and, and then she started to say that they'd been meaning to stop for a while, uh, wanted to come and say thank you, and then she got choked up and couldn't, couldn't continue. And so her husband took over and just said how much it meant to them to drive by every day and see that sign in the yard, that it would have applied to them two years ago, and they just wanted us to know that they appreciated it. So they you know, said again, they didn't want to interrupt, gave us the flowers, we said thank you, and shut the door. And we just sort of looked at each other, kind of blown away. Like clearly we had underestimated the impact this sign could have on neighbors and the way that they felt being welcomed in our neighborhood. 
Hopefully at some point I'll, I'll get a chance to ask more about that story. I see the husband now around occasionally. But in that moment, it was this sort of surprising reminder not to sleep on kindness. Okay, turn to someone and say, it's in your DNA. And actually what I mean is it's in kind of your spiritual DNA. It gets grafted in because kindness simply becomes a part of who we are as we learn to walk by the Spirit. If you said to Jesus, Lord, I want you to be my leader. I recognize my need for you in my life. Lord, I want to find my identity and my sense of worth in you and not in this world. If that's you, despite what your little brother or sister would say, kindness will grow in you, right? Along with the other fruit of the Spirit. Why? Because it's who God is. And it's so much a part of the history of God's relationship with his people. There's this Old Testament word, chesed. I don't think I got it right. You got to kind of get the back of the throat going. It says it's chesed. And scholars, scholars have, uh, have struggled to translate that word because there's not, there's not really an English equivalent. Uh, for a long time, uh, it was translated as loving kindness uh, in the Old Testament by the guy who uh, wrote the first, sort of produced the first English copy of the Bible a long time ago. But in other places, it gets translated as mercy, steadfast love, even loyalty. And at the heart of it, loving kindness is this sort of steady, persistent refusal of God to let go, to turn his back on his people, regardless of whether or not they respond to him. God's love for us as people is not dependent on how we respond. He will continue to love you, to not give up on you, to pursue you, regardless of whether you turn and acknowledge that love. That is chesed, and it's at the foundation of kindness. Paul tells us here and in other places that it's a gift of God's spirit. It's meant to be lived out and shared with our neighbors. In Colossians 3, he says this, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Another translation, instead of clothe yourself, says, put on a heart of compassion and kindness, humility, etc. It's quite an image, right? Every day that we should put on like clothes, kindness as we head out into the world, or almost saying to Jesus, Lord, lend us your heart of kindness as we head out today. And the early church did this. We know they took this seriously. The scholars in the Dietrich Bonhoeffer Institute, they say that the most popular verse for the first 300 years of the church was Matthew 5:44. It was like the John 3:16 of the early church. Show up to like a chariot race and it would be in the banner, right? It'd be a big banner up there. But this is what it says. It says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Love your enemies. Bonhoeffer himself, right, he was executed in 1945 by the Nazis uh, for his work as part of the underground church resisting what was happening. And he was well acquainted with violence and persecution. And yet he wrote this. Christian love draws no distinction between one enemy and another except that the more bitter our enemy's hatred, the greater his need for love. Be his enmity political or religious, he has nothing to expect from a follower of Jesus but unqualified love. In such love, there is not inner discord between the private person and the official capacity. In both, we are disciples of Christ or we are not Christians at all. 
Now, you and I may not be in a situation like Dietrich Bonhoeffer, where we're called to live out kindness in quite the same environment in such a radical way. But what does this look like for us? And I appreciate Pastor Tim Keller's definition and from Galatians 5. He says this. He calls kindness practical kindness with vulnerability out of a place of deep inner security. I'll say it again. Practical kindness with vulnerability out of a place of deep inner security. This isn't the kindness that the world so often offers, that we extend to others, where we sort of expect something in return, maybe even just at an unconscious level. There's no agenda. And it isn't this sort of sappy, mushy, nice either. It's a deep kindness that often requires courage and a willingness to be vulnerable and even suffer alongside people in need. Uh, One person that teaches me this, and I I see do this a lot, uh, is a guy on staff named Gabe Rocha. If you don't know him, he's kind of that hipster-looking guy with the long beard, well-groomed. And one morning a few years ago, uh, I was in the office on Monday morning, and I got a call from Gabe, and he asked if I'd come pick him up at the transit center. So I said, sure. And a few minutes later, I was pulling up to the the curb, and I noticed that he was dressed normally, except he had socks and no shoes on. So, of course, I asked him, what happened to your shoes, dude? And he went on to explain that uh, he'd gotten on the bus that morning, and as he was driving in, he saw uh, a guy sitting near him who just sort of looked kind of beat down by life, and... He felt maybe God kind of nudge him, just just talk to him to engage him. So he did. And then he looked and saw the guy's shoes, which were in pretty terrible shape, falling apart. And God kind of nudged him, nudged Gabe and said, give him your shoes. To which God said, or Gabe said, I don't want to give him my shoes. (laughs) The funny thing is, someone else had given Gabe those shoes and he appreciated the gift, but for some reason he felt like they weren't really supposed to stay with him. And if you know Gabe, that'll make sense. If not, ask him after the service. But he kind of felt this, like, nudge to give him any, you know, at the same time, he really liked the shoes. They were cool shoes. So finally, he said in his mind, okay, if they're the same size as this guy, then I'll give them to him. And of course, they were. And so he had to say to him, hey, look, you know, it looks like your shoes are in pretty rough shape, and maybe you use them for work, and this is going to sound crazy, but I think God wants me to give you my shoes. And so, you know, the guy was pretty blown away, and he took the shoes, and Gabe went on his way. And that's Gabe, right? He's, he lives in sort of this open and receptive way where the nudges of the spirit and that kindness just kind of flow out of him naturally. It's part of his DNA. Side note, we were all heading to a meeting after that in Seattle where we were going to be walking around for like three hours. Fortunately, we found a pair of like size 13 or 14 like basketball shoes in the youth office. And he wore them all day, didn't complain. Somebody might say it looked a little like a clown, but I wouldn't say that. These giant shoes. That's not in the notes to be repeated later. Okay, Uh, turn to someone near you and say, the kindness of Jesus. This is our our final point, the kindness of Jesus. Why, Why can Bonhoeffer speak so powerfully about loving his enemy? And why was the early church famous for doing this for its first 300 years? You know, why is Gabe able to live in such a way that at the drop of the hat he can extend, he's willing to extend and trust God to extend this kindness? And why should we not neglect showing kindness, even the simplest of kindnesses, every day? Because it's nothing compared to the kindness we've received in Jesus. Titus 3 says this, Paul, the same guy from Galatians, 
uh, writes about the fruit and says this. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. And in another letter to another church, Paul writes, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions and our sins. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming age, ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. The greatest example of God's kindness to us is not a what or an event. It's a who, right? It's Christ Jesus himself who while we were still his enemies, while we were still wrapped in our brokenness and in rebellion from him, came and died for us. And he restored our relationship to our creator and to the people around us in creation itself. He came and died that death that we should have died. And this, this radical grace is nothing like what the world has to offer. It's a kindness that's so, so scandalous that the super religious can't understand it, wrap their minds around it, the super intellectual sort of laugh it off as foolishness. But in Romans 2, Paul says the kindness of Jesus is so powerful that it leads to repentance, to profoundly changed lives. I'm going to close with, uh, with this story. Uh, back in mid-February, uh, my wife Christy, who is uh, active, pretty healthy, called me sort of surprised to say that uh, her doctor wanted her to come back in and check out something that they had seen on a mammogram. And one test led to another, and eventually uh, she was diagnosed with stage uh, two breast cancer. And we would hoped originally that she would avoid chemotherapy, but uh, just as they you know, went through the test and looking at it, uh, that's what her, her uh, prognosis for treatment was. And so that's kind of been the road we've been on since, since March, and, and will be probably through the middle of November. Um, and I should, should know that Christy's prognosis is really good. Um, this is all for cure, uh, which we're so thankful for. Um, but you can imagine, of course, it's had its challenges. And um, right away, a very close friend of ours, who's actually an oncology nurse and who's Christy's nurse, um, began helping and talking to us about what we need to do, setting up meal planning, um, help with kids. And unbeknownst to us, she also you know, solicited uh, money from friends and family in case they wanted to help cover house cleaning, yard work, things like that. Um, and I know that uh, there are some of you here who've been a part of that, and I just want to say a big thank you from my family. Um, even those of you who are praying, it's been, it's been amazing. Uh, we felt just an amazing amount of support, of support. But, you know, early in March, this friend came over and said they had something for us, and they presented us with this check and let us know that our meal train had been filled every other day through the end of November, which was amazing. And I share that... Um, one, because of the just generousness of people and friends, but also uh, because of the impact it kind of had on us, of course, right? I mean, we were overwhelmed with the level of kindness and generosity. Uh, but in that moment, standing in the kitchen, I realized I was having kind of a surprising reaction as well, which was sort of agitation and frustration. And I realized after a moment that I was sort of panicking because it's, it's me who usually gives the help, one. And two, I knew there was no way 
I was going to be able to say thank you or reciprocate back to all the people who were showing kindness to us, particularly because several of them, you know, were anonymous. And it kind of blew my mind. And right then I felt God kind of, kind of nudge me on the shoulder and say, you know, um, you know this is like my grace. And it's like, do you believe this? Can you receive it? And it, it kind of undid me because I realized in that moment, at least, the answer was no. I mean, I thought that I had understood it. Um, but that feeling of sort of, man, I can't earn this. I can't repay it. I can't qualify for it in some way rocked me. And it's just, you know, sort of a taste of the radical, scandalous kindness of God that we see in Jesus. Amen? He restores us to God, to each other, and to creation. And it is the greatest kindness we can ever be given. And it's sometimes hard to receive because it's difficult for us to take in something that we can't say thank you for adequately or pay back. But the truth is, if we will let it grip us, and understand just the beauty of that to some degree, we will become people who can't help but extend that kindness back out to the world. And Bill Prez, what, what better moment in history for our city, for our country, for the world, than to sort of recover this reputation of being God's kind ones? Amen? Amen. And so, Jesus, we, we do. We want to say thank you as much as we can for the gift of your grace, the gift of your love, your healing, your redemption, and your restoration. Pray that for each of us as we um, head out of here that you would grip us this week uh, with just a vision of your kindness in a way that causes us to live it out for others. In your name, Jesus, amen.